Welcome to Burn. I'm Reese Black, and it is time to be a candle and burn with the Spirit of God. It's time to fully embrace intimacy and oneness with the Holy Spirit. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Burn. I'm here again with my brother, and this is really fun for me. Uh, the first part of this, I kind of wanted to be like a check-in episode because you were my first uh, person to, ha- to have on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Now I'm on, this should be episode nine, I think. Really? <laughs> like, I should have checked that before. <laughs> yeah, because I got, uh, I haven't finished editing it, but I just did Keith Wheeler's episode and that's going to come out. And then this one will come out after that. Uh, and nice. I think... I'm a few yeah, behind fu- then in that case. I need to catch up listening then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that does count one of the ones that I made for your channel. So Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And I know so I know you saw that one, but uh yeah, this has been really fun. I, I I'm really thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to talk to some really cool people. That's mainly what this podcast has been. I mean, it's the whole purpose is about intimacy with the Holy Spirit, obviously. And we're we're gonna dive into that again with this episode, but the opportunity for me has been fun just because I've gotten to talk to a lot of cool people. And uh, that's probably been my second favorite part about it, besides just getting to, you know, be part of uh, conversations about the Holy Spirit. But if I could give you one piece of practical podcasting advice, Troy, you might appreciate this. Okay. <laughs> since, <laughs> since you have your own podcast and you make a lot of content. So last episode I recorded with Keith Wheeler, uh, this is something I know not to do again. He asked me if <laughs> I wanted anything to drink because I went and recorded at his house in Tulsa. Yeah. Typically, if people ask if if I want anything to drink, I usually have water with me. So I usually say, no, I've got water. Or if I don't have enough water, I'd be like, yeah, let me get water. I pretty much only drink water. But he, he listed off all the things that he had. And one of the things that he had was kombucha. Oh, no. <laughs> and I love kombucha. And I haven't had kombucha for a while. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we used to make our own kombucha. And then we got kind of sick of it because we were making about a gallon a week. <laughs> and we, there's only two of you guys. You can't drink a gallon a week and not get sick of kombucha. So we've stopped for a while. So my, my taste for kombucha has come back. And so I got excited. And I thought, yes, you know, I will take the cold kombucha. I appreciate that. So I'm drinking kombucha during our whole interview. And I had to stop <laughs> drinking the kombucha once I realized that <laughs> I was starting to burp a little bit. Oh, no. <laughs> and so for the entire interview... I would be tur- every time that you know he's talking and I'm not talking. <laughs> uh, I would be very careful about the noises that I was making, and I'd turn away from the microphone and let out like little, just the tiniest little air bubble burps that were coming out because of the kombucha. Gross, yeah. But I forgot. I forgot. I do burp a lot when it when it comes to uh, soda or oh my kombucha, God. that sort of thing. So I actually have. Can I throw this funny story in here since you yeah, reminded go for me it. of it? <laughs> I have a funny story since we're on the topic of. Uh, funny drink stories. Uh, yeah, so I went out to eat lunch uh, with my pastor uh, several months ago. I think it was beginning of this last year. And uh, we were leaving to go back to the church. And he said, uh, don't you want a drink to go? And I was like, no, I'll be fine. You know, we're going to be filming. I think actually this was a year ago. Yeah, we're going to be filming some uh, videos and stuff. And he, and he was like, no, you need to get a drink. And I'm like, no, I don't I don't need one. And he's like, yeah, get one of these 32-ounce, like, uh uh, drinks to go. And I'm like, he finally talked me into it. So I was like, okay. So I fill this thing up with tea and uh, we go get in his like nice, you know, new truck. He's got a real nice truck and everything. And I sit in the back. Um, <laughs> and then right after I get in, like we all get situated, there's another guy in the front seat. And as soon as we're all situated, I say, I just spilled that whole drink in the back of your truck. <laughs> 
it's terrible. Literally spilled 32 ounces of black tea all over the back of his truck. Pretty, pretty awful, pretty awful. But I kind of blamed him for it because he talked me into getting it. So, yeah, he sh- he should have known better. Never talk somebody into doing something <laughs> they don't want to do. I guess but that is that's dreadful. Sorry that happened to you. It was funny. I would be embarrassed. It was very embarrassing. Yeah, it's funny now. Well, thanks for hopping on the podcast again, bud. I'm really excited. I want to talk about something that I feel like the Lord really put on my heart uh, just about a week ago. And I've already had this conversation with my wife and it was really fun and I was really excited about it and she was excited about it. And so we've been talking about it for a few days. And and so I wanted to, I just knew it was supposed to be a podcast episode and, and I thought that it would be really awesome to, be able to have the chance to talk to you about it because I knew that you'd have a lot of thoughts and probably even some godly pushback. And uh, yeah, and I just think that this will be a good conversation, a good conversation kind of about, you know, just spiritual stuff, God's love towards us, what our response towards him should be, um, where the church is at, where we're going in the future and that sort of thing. And so I'm really excited. And I think I'm just going to hop right in with what yeah, go this for it, theme man. of today's episode is going to be about. So here's the gist, I guess, if I could sum it up, what I felt like the Holy Spirit was was putting on my heart and what seems to be so so important um, for me going forward. And I also feel like for the church, uh, as the church to hear as well. And that is, um, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke these words into my heart, which was that love is not one-sided. And what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying about that is basically he's, he's talking about there is a response that we as humans must give, should give to the Lord when his love is being poured out upon us. And the easiest way for me to describe this um, is basically the metaphor of marriage, uh, which I love the metaphor of marriage. The Bible uses it a lot, but it really just hit me thinking about, you know, I've been married uh, less than a year now, um, just about seven months. And and just thinking about the relationship that I have with Krista and how interesting it is with the way that we talk about God's love sometimes, where it's just sort of like, God loves us, he accepts us, he loves us, and that's and that's it, and we stop there. That's like the only thing that matters is that he his love is important out to us, and which is the most important thing. And I will and I will admit that that is the most important thing. Um, and there's nothing that we could do unless we first receive the love of God. But it's just interesting because I think about my relationship with Krista, and I think how different it would be if Krista loved me unconditionally, which no human can do. But say she did. If my wife loved me unconditionally, she loved me unconditionally. She loved me. She accepted me. She forgave me no matter what. And I did not return the love and I didn't have a a faithful devotion towards her, then that relationship would not look the same as a, our marriage does now where I do have a, I return the love and I have a devotion towards her. So basically the, the, the phrase that, that was coming to my mind was that you don't get the blessings and the real benefit of that intimate love union with the Lord unless there is uh, your heart turns and there's devotion and love being reciprocated going back towards the Lord. The context of this, as I was kind of listening to some sermons and stuff like that, that talked a lot about um, idols and kind of, and even talking about, which is not something that I typically always listen to sermons about, but even talking about uh, the demonic and like the evil spirits and other things out there besides in the spiritual realm, besides, you know, the good, besides God and, and the angels, there's a real reality that 
the spiritual realm also has yeah. Satan and his demons and all these evil beings that are completely opposed to God and completely opposed to the things of God. Mm-hmm. And so it's you can kind of see the the importance of this love devotion and what it's talking about when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the law, right? And in the law of the Old Testament, when you really dig into it, you start to see that so much of the law and so much of why God was telling Israel to be set apart uh, and not to associate with these other nations and to be different and all these laws um, that were keeping them from doing what the other nations were doing, the the large thrust of it, and, and you can see this on the way that God talks about in the Old Testament, he several times he refers to the sin of Israel or them turning away or, or worshiping other gods. He doesn't talk about it how we usually think of like, oh, he, you broke the law. You, you, you're bad. You know, you should be good, but you're being bad. He, he uses one word to describe it oftentimes, and that's adultery. Yeah. And that's, and it's, that's so heart wrenching because it, you have the people of God and he loves them and they're called to be his, yeah. you know, the same way as a husband and a wife are called to be each other's. And, and he's saying, you are committing adultery by turning to these other nations, gods, when I've called you out of all these people to be mine. And it's so interesting because then what you see is the law actually becomes a way to protect them from these other nations, quote unquote, gods, which really were just demonic powers and demonic strongholds that these other nations were trapped under. And that's in the, in the Old Testament, right? What we don't realize is that still continues on today. And so I, I just really felt like he, the Holy Spirit was pointing to me the, how important faith is. It's just interesting because, you know, we typically think of faith only as, as a good thing. And I guess I, I probably would only say that faith is a good thing. Maybe I could describe the, the opposite of faith as, as a different word. But right yeah. now, the only word I could think of is faith. But basically, you know, just think of like Abraham. When God spoke a word to Abraham, Abraham believed the word. And that word went inside of him and changed him, right? Mm -hmm. He believed the word and he followed God and he wasn't perfect, but he did his best to follow God. He believed God's word. And from that, God got to produce Israel and eventually the Messiah, Jesus, through the line of Abraham. So that's how faith works. That's how believing the word of God works. So the crazy thing is there are, it's not only God's voice that's out there in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's also, you know, you can look back as far as, uh, as far back as Adam and Eve the first time you have the opposition to God come in, you have Satan come in. And what does he do? He speaks a word to Adam and Eve, and they end up believing his word over God's word. When God said, don't don't eat of this tree, and he says, hey, no, you should eat of it. This is a good idea. And they, and they take it, and they fall for it, and they believe it. And that produces death, right? Yeah. And so what you see in the Old Testament is you have all these other nations that are not following God, but they're worshiping these idols, and they're worshiping these other gods. And what's really is happening is they're believing these other voices, these other words that are coming from beings that hate God, that are opposed to God, that are coming from Satan or, or one of his, his demons or one of these demonic principalities. And their faith is producing death, right? Their faith, their, their belief in these words uh, is, is causing destruction in, and causing their civilizations to be you know, really messed up, very sinful, and and just completely opposite of the what God's original intent for humanity was, um, and especially being very, very, very far, far from God. So I know that's a lot, but all of that to say, <laughs> that's so that's what's going on in my in my mind when I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me and start saying this this phrase of love is not one sided, love should not be one sided, 
and yeah. and keeping all that stuff in mind, it just it just hit me like a ton of bricks. How important it is to believe God's word and His word alone, mm-hmm. and to be devoted to Him and Him alone, and not to be devoted to anything else. So I know I just spent a long time talking about you know like Old Testament, you know lesser gods or the demonic powers and stuff like that. Um, but maybe a more modern example, not that stuff. I mean, and it, it's crazy too, cause that's the demonic realm has not gone away. It's still as active as it was yeah. in the old Testament. We just have a better response to it now because now we have the blood of Jesus, but here's a, here's a more modern example. It might be easier for people to, to grasp is just to say like fear. Okay. So say I'm a Christian. I, I am a Christian and this is something I've struggled with is fear. So this isn't a hypothetical, resp- <laughs> this isn't a hypothetical example. This is a real life example. Yeah. Uh, the fear that I have struggled with in my life, it's it's not enough for me. I realize this. It's not enough for me just to say, well, God loves me. You know, God, you know, I receive your love, you know, change my heart. And, and then I move about my day like, okay, God's love is just going to magically fill me up and fix me. And, and then I'm not going to be afraid anymore. There's actually, God has had to point, you know, his finger at my fear and point out basically how, my fear is a place, it's not the same thing as, it, it is similar to love, but it's, calling it love is kind of a weird thing, but basically I'm loving something else besides God. Yeah. Or I have faith in something else besides God might be an easier way to explain it. Yeah. So basically there is this word that I believe that I should be afraid, that I should be, I should have self-preservation, that I should be concerned about my safety or I should be concerned about my appearance or or how other people are perceiving me, whatever it is, the fear of man. There's this fear, there's this word that is saying, this is important, be like this, do this. And the fact that I am afraid proves that I have believed something and, and my heart has been moved and devoted towards something that's not of God. And it really shows how serious it is if you realize that, you know, I may not be worshiping a physical idol. I might not have set up an idol in my house and I'm worshiping this idol instead of worshiping God. But once you realize that, well, what is behind that fear? I might not be being oppressed by a real, you know, demonic spirit of fear or something like that super intensely, but even a a little fear, if you go behind the little fear, well, where did that fear come from? And you trace its roots back. Well, it didn't come from God. It wasn't a word spoken from God. So it actually did come from the demonic realm. Yeah. And so by allow, allowing a place of fear in my heart and in my life, by allowing that to to persist and and not rooting it out with the work of the Holy Spirit, I really am putting my faith, some of my heart, some of my devotion, I would say even some of your love, because all those things are wrapped up into it, towards a being that's not God, actually towards a, a demonic being, towards a demonic realm that's completely oppose and hates the Lord. Yeah. And this this concept has really kind of shaped the way I look at the Old Testament and like the law and stuff like that now because uh just in our modern age, I think we've lost a lot of the spiritual significance that that is real and is is still there and still exists to where we can start to think about God's law and I've you know, I've been tempted to think about God's law or God's standard of righteousness in this way of like, it's just kind of arbitrary, you know, where it's like, okay, well, God says this is good, but you know, it's just like, why, why did he say this is good? That's bad. You know, yeah. is it just like this arbitrary thing where he's like, well, I think this is good and I think that's bad. So, Hey, you know, Israel, old Testament, 
Israel, you you do this and don't do that. And it becomes kind of arbitrary and it kind of becomes sort of, and I, and I think that's why, because we've lost the spiritual significance, I think that's why the world more and more is able to reduce their standard of righteousness. Yeah. Because there's not a real standard. You know, it's, it's your perspective. It's whatever you think is right. You know, whatever you think is good. If you, if you have, if it feels right, you can do it, you know, that sort of thing. And it, it really, it really lifts the standard again in my heart and where it's like, this is not about arbitrary. Did you, did you meet the requirements? Did you not meet the requirements? This is about who owns my heart. And if, if God owns my heart, then again, it's not legalism. It's not about, did I check off all the laws that he has for me? It's, am I pursuing him? Am I pouring my life out to him? And am I wanting to be like him and, and to please him? And he is a certain way. His character is a certain way. Or am I letting my heart be drifting away and uh, and being entertained and being captured by these other ideas, these other words, you know, these other faiths even, you know, that are not actually originating from the heart of God. And it just makes it so black and white. It just makes it so right or wrong because, you know, again, Jesus always got to the heart. You know, the Pharisees were looking at the the legalism side of it and he got to directly to the heart. And and that's what the Holy Spirit has been has been doing to me is cutting it right to the heart of is my is every place in my heart devoted to God and, and him? Am I serving him or am I serving myself? You know, am I serving some other kind of idea that I've bought into that's not actually godly? And if I am I need to realize and admit that those things are actually idols. Yeah. Um, and just as destructive and just as evil in my life as as a real idol that I could stick up in my bedroom and 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 worship as opposed to worshiping the true God. So I know that's a lot of ideas. Uh <laughs> and yeah, I wanted to throw that stuff out there and, and see what you thought about it. If there's anything that kind of comes to your mind. Yeah, man, that's very interesting. Um, you know, I think obviously there's a lot <laughs> that uh the Lord has been showing you. <laughs> you you kind of just gave me a book to work with right now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> um, which is fine. But yeah, while you were talking, um, two things came to mind. Uh, the first one was a word that I got recently from the Lord, and um, this is actually the latest video I released on my YouTube channel. Um, so I know you haven't gotten a chance to see it, or else you probably would have mentioned it. But uh, yeah, so the word I got was um, I was literally like laying down on my living room floor to like start worshiping the Lord. And, um, the Holy spirit said very clearly in my spirit, he just said, uh, worship doesn't please me. And I was just like, what, (laughs) you know, like I was like, wait, what? And my first thought was like, that can't be God. (laughs) Cause I know worship pleases the Lord, you know, that he inhabits the praises of his people, you know, I start thinking of verses and then he followed it up and he finished it by saying, faith does. Hmm. And yeah. And so what the Lord began to show me through that was, uh, you know, I just like waited upon the Lord, listened to him. And he started to show me how worship, he was equating worship with devotion in a sense. And it was like both of these things where you're doing something for the Lord doesn't really please him apart from faith. So I'm not saying that worship doesn't please God, but worship cannot please God uh, without faith. Hmm. And, um, something that, you know, I think is, I think something that's real important to, to, to keep in mind is, is what is faith, you know? And and I think you kind of touched on that a little bit, but, you know, I think sometimes we think that faith is, 
uh, hope. We get these things confused and we think like faith is, well, I need a job real bad and I prayed and asked God to give me a job. And so I'm going to have faith that I'm going to get a job. But really what we're doing is we're hoping, you know, we're, we're, we keep thinking about it and, and we keep imagining the positive and imagining the optimistic angle on it, you know, and we're like, okay, maybe I'll get a job today. You know, like maybe God will give me a job today, hopefully. Like, and it's like, and I think a lot of times we confuse it and we say that is faith. But if you really look at what faith is in the Bible based on, um, you know, there's not like a good spot where faith is actually defined. I, mean, I know some people use certain verses to define it, but if you really look at what it is in the Bible and it, you boil it down, like I believe personally, um, you could say that faith is just believing what God has said enough to act on it. And I think that really connects to what you said, because like in the Old Testament, there's so many there's so many uh, examples of the Israelites, you know, like you were saying, they were serving other gods and stuff, but a lot of the time they weren't really serving other gods um completely you know a lot of the a lot of the time it was like they brought the other uh idol worship into the temple of the lord or they or they they worshiped the lord but then they were worshiping him you know in the high places in the place where they weren't supposed to be worshiping him you know the place that had been like uh created for these other you know false gods or whatever so it was like the real problem wasn't that you know they weren't worshiping the lord a lot of the time the problem was that that worship wasn't out of faith because it wasn't based on what God had said. Right. You know, and so it really, I think you're right. It comes down to that very, you know, it's a very subtle thing if you, on paper, but it's a very clear, it's a very clear thing in your heart. You know, like that's the difference there. On paper, it looks real, you know, you could go like, oh, both these people were both worshiping the Lord, you know, but in their hearts, it was very clear, you know, in our hearts, and, and I mean, all, all we can know, obviously, is our own hearts, but in our own hearts, it's very clear if we're, we heard what God said, especially written in his word, and we said, I'm going to believe what he said enough to do what he asked me to do based on that, you know, versus I'm going to try to make God happy with, you know, whatever, like the amount of worship that i that I do this week or something like that. But yet at the same time, we're going and living however we want to live or, you know, whatever. We're like mixing his worship in with the worship of the world, you know, or something like that, where it's like, it's really a hard issue. It really comes down to that. Um, the other thing that, uh, that I thought of was, I pulled this up while you're talking. This is James chapter two. Um, and, and this is really cool. Cause this is a verse that, you know, I use all the time, but I don't always like quote this whole passage, but the verse is, James 2, 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. But um, if you look at this whole passage here, you know, it says that Abraham was, he was made righteous and became a friend of God. You know, that close, like intimate relationship with God through faith, right? Through believing what God had said. Right. But right before that, um, if you look, uh, in verse 17, he says, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And I think what he's really trying to say here, you know, what James is really trying to say is, if you didn't believe enough to do what God had asked you to do, then you weren't really believing in the first place. You mm-hmm. know, like like you said, your faith wasn't really in what God had said. It was in what you hoped God meant. Yeah. Which is a big difference, you know, and... Anyways, and then so if you go down, it says, uh, was our father Abraham not justified? This is verse 21. 
Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And then it says, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. So that to me is like, you know, it's real black and white there where it shows how it, you can have, you know, on one side of the, you can have works all day long. Like, like what I was talking about, worshiping the Lord, you know, um, even loving other people, even serving people, whatever it might be, doing things for the Lord, you know, giving to the Lord. You can have works all day long, but if you don't, but if you don't have the faith on the other side, which is tied directly to what God had said, you know, then all those works really don't, I mean, for one thing, they don't please him, but they also, you know, it's like they aren't drawing you any closer to him either, mm-hmm. which is sad. You know, it's very sad because, and I was in this place for a long time in my own life, you know, growing up, I really attached really strongly to the work side of things. And I considered myself a really nice, good person, you know, <laughs> and um, I did a lot of things that I think really at the end of the day didn't really amount to anything, <laughs> Especially not when it comes to like pleasing the Lord, you know, like I can look back and see how I did a lot of things thinking I was doing the right thing and I was pleasing God, but most of it really wasn't based on something God had said. Most of it was based on something either someone else had told me I had to do or something that I had come up with in my own mind and thought, if I do enough of this, God's really going to have to accept me. (laughs) You know, he's really going to have to like me. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love I love that you brought in uh, James too there to to talk about faith in that way. I think it's it's crazy. I'm thinking about uh, from what you just said about faith. I'm thinking about Abraham again and how you know with your definition of faith about believing God enough to actually act on it. It's yeah. I'm not saying that's the end all definition. That's just I know, a, but it's, it's a, a basic good, way of saying it. <laughs> it's a pretty good working. It's a pretty good working definition, and. It's cool because you see that with Abram, um, who was that was his name before God changed it to Abraham. Because when God originally called Abram, he was he was in his father's city, and his father's city was underneath a different God, <laughs> not the true God. And it's interesting because you, it doesn't the Bible doesn't exactly say how Abram heard God's voice. Yeah, but it doesn't describe any sort of physical manifestation. And so, and later it, it does describe physical manifestation when there, he has that kind of vision and, and God making a covenant with him and like walking between the animals and that sort of thing. But when God first calls him and, and several other times when he speaks to, to Abram and then later Abraham, you just get the sense of he's, he's just speaking to him. He's just hearing a voice, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't know, but now being a New Testament Christian who's full of the Holy Spirit, a uh, temple of the living God, which is amazing. <laughs> and, and knowing lots of New Testament Christians who, who are normal Christians or, or even prophets and, and sit in the, the office of a prophet and hear the voice of the Lord regularly, the voice of the Lord outside of the Bible and outside of what we have in the Bible, the voice of the Lord often comes as just a still small voice right yeah inside of you and so that's what i imagine abraham was hearing was this this voice that he didn't know the origin of coming to him and saying you know i'm going to make you a, a i'm going to make a, a great people out of you and like get out of your father's house come to the land i'm going to show you and i'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you and making this promise right and it's it's crazy because 
the way that he's he demonstrated faith was the fact that he did what the voice told him to do. <laughs> he believed yeah. God and he developed that relationship with with the Lord, obviously, because God speaks to him again and again and he talks to God. And so he develops this relationship with the Lord and he believes what he is saying to him enough that he actually acts on it and actually goes and does, right? And by going and doing in the same motion of having faith with God, you leave all the idols behind, right? Yeah. Because he leaves his his father's house. He leaves where there would have been idols. He leaves where people were worshiping other gods and he goes out and to start this new nation with God, basically, and uh, and to worship the true God. And it's really cool because one of the things I see kind of in the church today is sort of related to this. And that is, and I'm not super old, so I, and I haven't been tracking, you know, church culture super, super well, you know, over the last 20 years. But I, I've kind of been around people that are older than me and hearing them talk about the church and how church culture has changed and that sort of stuff and, and just seeing stuff myself. I just kind of have this gist that kind of the last 20 years, the church culture has shifted to start to focus more and more on the goodness of God and the love of God. And I actually am framing this as a good thing. <laughs> I don't I don't want anyone yeah. to think of this as a bad thing. I actually really believe that this is a true move of the Holy Spirit because what it did was it moved us away from a lot of workspace religion and moved towards the the truth of the Bible that we love God because he first loved us, right? Yeah. And so it's like we're not capable of doing anything until we fully understand how much God loves us and that he is a really good father. And, and that's part of faith is because that's what the way that Jesus describes God. That's the way that God describes himself to us. And we have to believe that he's that good and that he loves us um, or else we're not actually demonstrating faith because we're not believing what he has said about himself. We're not believing the character of God that's, that's shown in the Bible and shown in Jesus coming and dying for us. Anyway, so in my belief, my thoughts is the last 20 years, there's been a general kind of contemporary shift, especially in the the Christian uh, evangelical American church towards the love of focusing on the love of God and God as a good father, which is amazing, which is really, really good. And I'm not claiming to be a prophet or anything like that, but I, I just based off of what I felt like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, I would like to put out as kind of my guess of what the Holy Spirit is doing next. And you can, you guys can pray about it and, and ask uh, what God is doing. But I, I kind of feel like where the church is going to be going in the future is now that we've had more of an established, this is how much God loves us. And this is God's heart for us. There is going to be a response and there's going to be a turned devotion and life lived in faith. And and I, part of the reason why I know that this is happening and I know that this is where the church needs to go and this is, this is what needs to happen for a lot of us is because we have this other thing happening right now uh, in, in Christianity that's becoming bigger and bigger of a deal. And it's a kind of a new sect of Christianity. It's this, I would call it an offshoot, but it's this growth that's happening uh, in the Christian church called progressive Christianity. And basically, the best way for me to sum up progressive Christianity, I'm going to sum it up with with what I've been talking about here with talking about, you know, your devotion to the Lord and that sort of thing. But progressive Christianity is, is basically a Christianity that preaches that God loves us and God is really, really good, which is a true message 
but then it either forgets or it outright denies that there is a needed response or that there's a reality of idols and adultery. So basically, in my mind, progressive Christianity is like a marriage where one side loves the other side and the other side, it just says, thank you so much for your love, but there is no faithfulness there to where, you know, like in my marriage for say, it would be like me saying, it's okay for me to sleep around with other women because I know my wife is so good that she's always going to love me. And that may be true. My wife may be that good that she's always going to love me. But again, like I said earlier, I am going to miss out on the true benefit of marriage. I'm going to miss out on the true love covenant. I'm one with you um, union that gets to come when when two parties are are sold out and devoted to each other in that way. And so this has been an interesting thing because I've had the opportunity to be around uh, progressive Christians. And it's always an interesting thing because I, so much of their messaging is the same as my messaging, talking about the love of God and, and just like the love of God changes everything. But then it's strange because we always land in such different areas where I... Like for me, it's the love of God changes everything, including your heart. It changes your heart. And as the Holy Spirit writes his word and his law on your heart, your heart becomes more of the Lord's and is actually, you're more motivated to stay away from any form of evil and and do whatever the Bible tells you to do because it's coming from a motivation of love, right? Yeah. And it's no longer, now it's personal. Now if, I, if, I'm, if I'm sinning, it's, it's hurting my heart. It's not just hurting God's heart. It's hurting my heart because I'm realizing that I am being faithless to the one that's been so faithful to me, right? Now, I'm not saying that I never mess up. Obviously, I do. But the, the messaging that comes with regressive Christianity, it's a special kind of poison that basically ends up saying that there's no reason for you to have any sort of guilt. You know, there's no like sin and all that kind of stuff. And and a lot, and again, it's 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 modern Christianity. It's It's a modern message. And so it it does away with the reality of the the demonic realm to where there's not any sort of there's not there's no other power out there that's opposed to god you know it's so you can do whatever you want you can live whatever lifestyle you want god loves you but they're denying the fact that behind this act or this thing that i'm doing that god has told me not to do there's actually a power there's actually a spirit that I'm, I'm now worshiping and I'm now having my faith and my love and my heart devotion is being directed towards that is absolutely opposed to God. I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm not really trying to, to tear anybody down. Obviously, I'm not saying any sort of names of preachers or anything like that, but, but you can see it. If you look around, you can see it. It's, it's definitely, I mean, it just, just like legalism, it's, it's just a, a form of Christianity that's off, that's wrong in some way. And I do believe that the Holy Spirit is basically pushing the church and bringing the church to a place where there's going to be a a division and you're going to be able to see what it looks like to be full of faith and what it looks like to not be full of faith. (laughs) Uh, Because it's going to be like, because you're going to be able to tell, it's going to be like Abraham, you know, like think, think of two versions of Abraham. The first version of Abraham had enough faith to do what God said to do. And he left his house. And then the second version of Abraham was like, oh, wow, cool. God's speaking to me. God said he's going to do all these amazing things. And then like told all his friends, wow, God said he loves me and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. 
but then he never leaves. He never actually leaves his city and goes and does the thing that, that God told him to do. Right. Yeah. And, and you, the last thing I'll say about progressive Christianity, one of the, I mean, again, and the Bible says this, like, I forget the verse, I'm going to botch this, but um, it's just that the idea of believers claiming the name of Jesus, but denying the power of God, you know, you know, saying I'm of the Lord, I'm, I'm for the Lord. I love the Lord, but then there's no power. There's no evidence. That's why you don't see miracles happening in, in progressive Christian churches and progressive Christian circles or whatever. There's, there's not the, the power. There's not the people being healed, people being raised from the dead. You don't have the same kind of powerful presence of the Holy Spirit because the faith isn't there. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head with the faith issue because, you know, I definitely, <clears throat> I mean, I have friends who uh, tend toward progressive Christianity, you know, and even people in my close circle that do. And, you know, so I'm always very careful about what I say. Um, I don't want to say anything that's condemning necessarily because there are Christians who who are listening to certain people and leaning a certain direction, you know, and it's just an issue of the Lord needs to bring their heart back to the truth. Like you said, I just don't want to, um, definitely don't want to like bash anybody or anything like that. But yeah, but I think what you said about faith is very true because what I've heard, this is just my personal experience with other believers or other people who, you know, have, um, who say that they're Christian, but lean more towards progressivism in the church is a lot of times what I've heard and seen, it'll, it'll come down to a few issues what the Bible would consider sin issues, you know, and it'll come down to a few things where they'll say, well, God wouldn't make that wrong because he knows that that could never change in my life or in the life of this friend of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, like God wouldn't say that was wrong because he knows that's impossible to change. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different issues that that could apply to, but but that's what I've seen. That's what I've heard, you know, from people who who are friends of mine who will talk about this. And I think what it comes down to is the question, like, do you really believe that God is not powerful enough to change that? You know, and I think when you when you're talking about that verse, it says like they denied the power of God. You know, I think, yes, it does apply to miracles. It does apply to, you know, the supernatural, um, the gifts of the spirit. You know, it does apply to those things. But I think it also applies to the power of God to change someone's heart, you know? And I think that's part of it is it's almost like we've become okay with a God who is powerful enough to save me in eternity, but he's not powerful enough to change me now, right? you know, to do anything in my heart now. And that is the experience of God. If you've met God personally, he's changed you overnight, you know? Like maybe he hasn't stripped everything out of you all of a sudden, but the next day you woke up and something was different, you know, like you, you had an experience with God. And, and I think that is, um, I think this ties really closely in with the idea of, you know, who are you listening to? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it, uh, is it a demonic voice? Because there are aspects of who God is and how great and powerful he is that when you come into contact with him, some, something changes, you know, like you can't come into contact with God without things changing, without being drastically impacted by him, just based on the fact of who he is. And I think in scripture, you see this, you know, like, like, like take Abraham, for example, like you were saying, he heard this voice and he chose to believe the voice. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, 
if it was really the Holy Spirit, which we know from Scripture it was, then, and I've heard people say that a lot, like Abraham was a man of faith because he was willing to believe a random voice, you know? And it's like, well, I don't really think he was willing to believe a random voice. I think Abraham, when he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, knew that it was God. Whether he was hearing an audible voice or a voice in his spirit, you know, or or in his mind, whatever it might have been, you know, Abraham... He had more knowledge about it than I think we give him credit, and I think it's it's not based on how smart Abraham was, you know, or how in tune with the Spirit he was or something like that. It's based on God, who God is and how amazing and how just amazing he is. Like, when God speaks to somebody, that they're able to understand God is speaking to me right now, you know? Like, nobody else can speak like this, you know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody else has a presence like this. And another example, which I think ties really well uh, into that Old Testament story of Abraham in the New Testament is uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, on the road to Damascus, where this to me, it better represents what we have going on in the church nowadays than Abraham does in some ways. I mean, he he is a good example, you know, because he does come out of that city, um, you know, where his father was, where his people were, you know, and he goes to the land that God told him to go to. But Paul wasn't just in a secular society, you know, and then and then but started to believe in the Lord. He was a godly man, quote unquote. You know, like he was in the church. He was a godly person, considered himself a godly person. He was devoted to the Lord. You know, like nowadays you would say Paul would be the person that was at at church every single Sunday, always serving you know, like always doing everything, always trying to be nice to people, always taking food food to the poor, whatever it might be, like that was Paul, had an answer for everything. And yet the thing that he was missing was that experience with the living God, with the real God. And when he, when he experienced that, you know, at first there is that question in his mind, like he does say, who are you? But then he follows it up by saying, who are you, comma, Lord? You know, he's like, who are you, God? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, a random voice is speaking to me from heaven, yet at the same time, I know whoever this is, he's the Lord of the universe. It was apparent in the experience of God, who God was, that this was God that he was talking to, you know, like that that this was a being that deserved reverence and awe and, and, and uh, honor and, and praise. And anyways, and, and then later, Paul makes this statement later on where he says, he's talking to King Agrippa, I think, and he says, I was obedient to that heavenly vision, you know? So he's, he doesn't bring God into the equation at that point. He, instead, he says, you know, obviously he'd said it was God, but he says, I was obedient to that heaven, heavenly vision, talking about what happened to him on the road. But I think it's because, you know, one reason could be because Paul was trying to connect what happened to him and his faith and works as a result of that with somebody who's trying to make it work with somebody relatable to somebody who had not had that experience of God. So he was showing them the experience aspect of it, not the personal aspect of it. You know, he's basically saying, if you had a crazy vision from an all powerful being, wouldn't you respond the way I responded? You know, like he was basically making that statement, that argument, you know, and I think that's an argument to be made today too, when it comes to progressive Christianity is to say like, yes, God does say, he loves us. And yes, that's amazing that you know how much God loves you, you know, and that's amazing that you understand what Jesus was willing to do for you. You know, like all of those things are amazing, but at the same time, have you had that heavenly vision? You know, have you had that? And and by saying that, what I mean is, have you had that real experience with 
the God of the universe? You know, like, ha- have you talked with God? You know, has he talked with you? And jumping back to James chapter two, I feel like this verse kind of wraps it up a little bit, you know, but this is, uh, it's the same passage that I was talking about earlier, but he says, uh, 18 again, he says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. This is what the people were saying that he was quoting. Um, show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then verse 19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And And then he says, the demons also believe and shudder. So basically what he's saying is, yes, just believing that God is who he is and that he has done what he has done is not enough. He's saying that's not enough to say that you know God because the demons, and to say that you're saved, and the reason is because even the demons know who God is. Even Paul, the apostle, before he experienced that vision on the road, he knew who God was, and he knew what God had done in the Old Testament. Like, he knew all those things about God. The same way the demons, you know, know. But he had not had that personal experience with God, you know, resulting in a saving faith, you know, a faith that was going to lead him to do the works. And, you know, and even later on, Paul admits that he wasn't the one, you know, he did so much for the early church and he wasn't even the one doing it. He said, it's not me, but it was the grace of God at work in me. So he admits that it really was what God had done for him, and it was, yes, the love of God, the grace of God, it was the, all those things. But at the same time, the thing that really connected him to that was the experience with the real and living God. And for us personally, if we're asking that question, like, well, where am I, you know, in, in relation to this? Like, am I listening to a, a, the voice of God? Am I responding in faith? Or am I, um, you know, am I being influenced by something that's demonic in nature? You know, or am am I being influenced by something that's a lie? You know, and I think it comes down to uh, one of my favorite verses is Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, and it says, "God is speaking here, and He says, when you seek Me, you'll find Me. When you search for Me with all your heart." And I think what we've done in the Christian culture nowadays sometimes is we've taken that verse and twisted it. Um, you know, not technically, but practically, we've twisted it to say when when you search for God's love with all your heart, you'll find him, you know? And that's not what he says. He says, when you seek me with all your heart. And and so if we're seeking for God's love, we're looking for God's love and the aspects of God that, that our natural minds tell us are good. If we're looking for those things with all our heart, that's at the end of the day, we're only going to find the version of those things that we can create in our own minds, you know, like the, like our version of the, of love, our version of those things. But but God says, if we really want to find him, we really want to know him, we have to lay everything else aside and say, God, no matter what, I want to find out who you really are, and I want to seek you, no matter what you're like, you know, with my whole heart, no matter who you are, no matter what that means for my life, you know, and what I found personally is like, when I did that, you know, when I finally got to the point where I was done, you know, trying to make it work on my own, and I, I said, God, I, you know, I need you, you know, and I read that verse, and I, and I just said, you know what, like, I'm going to do this, like, I'm going to seek you with my whole heart, and whatever you're like, I just want to know you, I just want to find you, you know, and when I did, when I was willing to do that, I, I can say truly that I found him, you know, and up until that point, I had all that knowledge of God, you know, and I thought that I had faith in God, I knew who he was, what he had done, but I really hadn't had an experience with the living God. And it took getting to the point where I was like, God, everything else doesn't matter if I don't have God. If I don't have him personally, nothing else in this life is going to matter. 
And I think, I think that's the question that any of us can ask ourselves at any point, whether we're saved, whether we're in one denomination or another, you know, or whether we're not, you know, whether we don't consider ourselves a Christian yet. Like we can, we can always come back to that question of, am I really seeking God for who he is, you know, or has something else gotten in the way? Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love, I love that. I'm going to try to wrap this up with that idea that you just, you just put out there. I love how, I love how you talk about Paul because while you were talking, that really kind of hit me where I was like, we are all Paul, no matter where we are on the, no matter where we are on the theological spectrum. Like say I'm, say I lean to be more of a progressive person or I lean to be more of a legalistic person as far as far as like, you know, religion and how I approach Christianity and how I approach God and who God is and that sort of thing. It doesn't matter like where I am on that sort of spectrum. I am Paul in the sense of, obviously I am going to think that I'm right. You know, like I have the tendency to think I'm right. And, and Paul believed that he was right in what he was doing. He was on God's side. Right. And we always think that we're on God's side. <laughs> That's that we always assume that like we're on God's side, all of my, who I am, all of my motivations and beliefs. Like I, I'm, I am on God's side. I am right. And, and yet when God showed up for real in Paul's life, Paul was changed. Yeah completely change, completely change. And I think that point that you brought up is the most important point that we need to ask ourselves again and again. And is it is that, what am I being motivated by? Is my motivation really, I want to know God. I want to be in relationship with God and I want to see him for how he really is. Do like, I want to know his ways, no matter if those ways are completely opposed to the ways of my heart right now. Yeah. You know, because because God was very much opposed to who Paul was and and what he was doing. But he still loved Paul and he showed up for Paul. But then what happened? Well, he changed him. And that is what needs to happen in our lives is, you know, cuz somewhere there's a, still a place in us that is saying the way that I am right now is right. And, uh, I've got it figured out. So I'm going to continue in this way, you know, <laughs> or, or, or maybe it's, it's more unconscious, you know, maybe it's, it is negative, like fear or, um, some sort of sin or some sort of, you know, selfishness or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that is opposed to God. Well, that thought is, wants to stay there. You know, that thought doesn't want to go away. It's going to continue and it's going to be inside of me and it's going to shape who I am until I'm willing to confront the fact that I am now interacting with the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, and what he says and who he is, is better than who I am. Yeah. It, 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 and, and I should be the one changing to be like him. I should not be the one redefining who God is to be more like me. Yeah. You know, and and so if we're, you know, where again, wherever we're laying on the spectrum, whether we're more legalistic or whether we're more progressive, as long as we're acting like Paul, we're gonna think that God looks just like us. You know, you know, Paul, Paul thought God looked like him when he was, you know, getting Christians thrown in jail, and he was thinking that he was on the side of God. And then this is like, this is God is like this. He's he is harsh and uh, judgmental, and he is completely opposed to this message that is being spread. 
and I'm going to do whatever I can do to stop it because I'm on the side of God. And, uh, and you know, that, that's not, that might not be what we look like. We're not, you know, out there trying to throw people in prison or something for what they believe, but somewhere we're believing something that's not exactly quite like God. And if we're not careful, we can have the tendency to think God is like this because I'm like this. But like you said earlier, that completely throws out the possibility that God is powerful enough to change who we are. And that we can actually interact with him with faith, believing that he is so powerful and he is so loving and so good that he can actually reshape me to look like him. And I'm praying that happens more <laughs> for the whole church and and especially for me. <laughs> yeah, same here, man. This was awesome, man. Thanks for hopping on and, and talking about this subject with me. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm going to leave it there. But is there anything that uh, you want to tell the listeners to to go and hit up right now? I know you just got out a new video. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of related to what we talked about. So if you haven't seen Troy's new video, I, I haven't seen it yet <laughs> either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go and watch it. Uh, what, was it what was it called again? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's called uh, God Told Me That Worship Doesn't Please Him. I think it's called something like that. So, gotcha. well, it'll be on your, <laughs> you can go look it up on, on my your YouTube channel. Yeah. And I'll have the link in the description to your YouTube channel. So thanks again, man, for hopping on and God bless. Hope you have a good one. All right. You too, Reese. Bye. Thanks for listening to burn. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can check out more of my stuff at my website, holdingfireblog.com. I've got a blog. I've got a book. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Reese Black Holding Fire. That's a Facebook and Instagram. And you can find my book on Amazon. It's called Out of the Shadows, A Journey into the Kingdom of Light. And I'll see you back here for the next episode. Until then, don't forget to burn and God bless.